Welcome to the Free Flow Football Podcast. On today's episode, Petr Cech announces his retirement, Sven Mislintat is reportedly leaving Arsenal, Harry Kane is out till early March, and we discuss whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be permanent manager of Manchester United. Hey guys, it's Mahit Damaj, the host of the Free Flow Football Podcast. I'm joined by Nick Delaney as usual. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well, Mahith. Nice. So we're going to jump right into the topic of Petr Cech, who I know is um, one of both of our favorite goalkeepers. And mm-hmm. today he announced his retirement, uh, which will happen at the end of the season. Of course, he is currently Arsenal's second choice goalkeeper, but I mean, a legend of goalkeeping and a Premier League legend for sure. Mm-hmm, He's got definitely. the most, most clean sheets in the Premier League in Premier League history. Four Premier League titles, all with Chelsea. Five FA Cups, four with Chelsea, one with Arsenal, one UEFA Europa League, and one UEFA Champions League, of course, with his um, penalty heroics in 2012. So, Nick, um, there's been a lot of reception towards his announcement today. You know, all the, all the greats of the game, all of his teammates, a lot of goalkeepers from the current generation, you know, tweeting out um, about you know, his career, saying thank you for the inspiration and stuff like that. Right. I mean... His legacy is going to be great in the Premier League, but I mean, when you compare him to guys like Buffon, guys like Casillas, where do you think he stands? Well, I think it it depends on um, kind of what generation we always will talk about. Um, I was thinking about does Manuel Neuer kind of cross over in that um, generation? Mm -hmm. In your opinion, do you think he would? Because I personally don't. I think he's a little too young. But, yeah, uh, I think um, his prime came sort of in the 2010s. Yeah. Um, you know, b- between like 2013 and, and now, basically. Yeah. Whereas these guys, it was in the 2000s. Yeah, so so if if in that case that I think we're in the both agreement that Neuer isn't in this generation, I would say just because of the fact that his, his international career is always going to be very forgotten, just because mm-hmm. of that Czech Republic team is just not up to standards of a yeah. Spain or an Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he will always be remembered as, for Chelsea. Yeah, um, he was in the UEFA Team of the Year 2005. I mean, he was he had the Golden Gloves for uh, the Premier League in 2004, 2005, 2009, 2010, 2014, mm-hmm. 2015, and even 2015, 2016. Yeah. So he's he's been consistently great for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would rate him third in terms of, like, his his generation. So that will include, like, Victor Valdez, um, Casillas, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Buffon. I, I think he's, he's third in around that category of, yeah. like, 2003 to 2010, 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always a really, really great keeper, um, a, a model of a leader, as mm-hmm. all those keepers really have seemed to be. Mm-hmm. If you see the consistency of no drama, no nonsense f- from them, you know. Yeah. Um, he also was pretty good for Rennes in the Ligue. Yeah. I mean, he was he was nominated the best uh, 
goalie of the French League in 2003-2004. So that's, that's how he got to Chelsea. And um, that 2011-2012 Champions League run is a large part in due to him because mm-hmm. of the fact that they were such underdogs. You know, he, he really saved them a lot in, in, those, in that run-up. And, I mean, he's just a, he's an overall a great, great keeper. Definitely a, an all-time top 10 great, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. What makes Petacek so likable is uh, not just his play on the field, but he is such a model professional, as you mentioned. I mean, he he is a top guy, always, you know, after he has poor games, he'll go and tweet out and he'll tweet out a paragraph to the fans saying that, you know, he what he did wrong, what he can do better. And this was at 35, 34, 36 years of age. And he's still doing that. I remember against, I forget who it was, but a few months ago, he had a really poor game and he went on Twitter and he apologized to everybody and he was replying to fans who were criticizing him. And I think, you know, throughout his career, he's been a real guy that everybody's been able to look up to. And I think that was clear when we saw all the messages that he received today from guys like David De Gea and Thibaut Courtois, mm-hmm. guys that looked up to him, that, that have his jerseys. And, you know, I think he's a really great guy and, and it doesn't seem like anybody had, has or had any issues with him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Jose Mourinho said that uh, uh, the only um, credit I could get can get from his career is giving him a start and then everything else he did. So that's pretty big from a guy who's usually loves the attention. You know, he definitely shows a huge amount of respect for his former number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, Czech was just a he, – he will be really missed in – in my heart, because when when I started watching soccer really hard in the uh, 2013, 2014, in around that uh, year was my real first uh, time watching soccer. And, uh, I mean, he was my favorite goalie right mm-hmm. off the gate. Um, also, the one thing that maybe nobody wants to ever talk about due to how horrific it was, but his injury mm-hmm. was near death. Yeah, like I mean that that knee to the head against Reading was was almost he almost died and he could yeah. have we we might not have been even talking about him like we are now as a legend instead of we could have talked about him as you know something more tragic that I don't I don't want to speak on anymore but he he came back from that and he's he he was you know he was even better possibly I mean he won a lot of trophies with that. Uh, with that rugby helmet on and um, you know, he'll always be a huge, huge um, inspiration in my, in my life even too, just, just from that one thing of getting really knocked down and then getting back up. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, the helmet became sort of a trademark of his, you know, that's what he was recognizable. Definitely. Um, will, after that. It will be his, uh, for surely what, when people think of check, they'll think of the helmet with him. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I want to mention that uh, sort of defines Czech's career and how loved he was amongst people is that when he moved from Chelsea to Arsenal, I mean, those are two London rivals, mm-hmm. and not a single Chelsea fan hates him. No. Like, literally none. They On Twitter today, they were all very sentimental over his time at the club. I mean, when pe- when you know you move from a rival to another rival, usually, I, I, I don't know many players that you know, have been received well even after a move like that. But, you know, Czech was looking for first-team football. He got that at Arsenal. He won the Golden Glove in 2015-16. Um, you know, he he's obviously fallen down the pecking order this year. And honestly, he's a great shot stopper still. I mean, um, if you look at the 2-0 win 
Arsenal against Everton earlier this year when he started in goal, he saved that game for Arsenal. I think the real issue with him is, you know, he's a bit of an old-school um, goalkeeper, isn't really great on the ball, you know. There have been some very questionable times um, with him on the ball, especially under Unai Emery this year at Arsenal, who, you know, loves to engage the goalkeepers in, in the build-up. And he sort of lost his job to Baron Leno only because of him not being able to play the ball as well as Leno. Where yeah. you know, for shot stopping, Czech is arguably a superior goalkeeper than Leno, who is 10 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like at Chelsea, Czech ever developed really passing the ball around like he's a, a Victor Valdez type player because yeah. that system probably never really existed for that amount of time at Chelsea. Um, mm. I'm sure he was still, he's still really good at you know, kicking the ball long to the target men striker and Mm -hmm. seeing what happens from there. But I I think Czech could definitely start at a a club that is of European um, contention. And when I say European contention, maybe a a team like um, Valencia, I I could think of Um, definitely any, any team from outside the top five leagues, so, like, mm-hmm. a Portuguese team for sure, a Russian yeah. league team for sure, a Ukrainian, um, and a Dutch team definitely would be the starter. Yeah. I mean, unless you're trying to get a, like a young kid experience. But other than that, I, w- I would see Czech starting over everybody in that all those leagues. And in a lot of Premier League clubs, Spanish, Italian, you know, he speaks, like, I believe five languages, mm-hmm. uh, Czech, um, English, French, Spanish and German, if I got it correctly. Yes, I do. He's uh, and I think he'll go into coaching by the time oh, for sure. by the time yeah. next year. I guarantee you, he will have a role as a goalkeeping coach minimum with a in a team either in the Czech first division, uh, and who knows, maybe even somewhere in England for sure. I think Chelsea yeah. are going to offer him a job actually. Yeah, I and I would not be surprised. I'm sure Abramovich mm-hmm. loves this guy. Yeah. Um, I think I've always said that he's, he is likely to be a great coach because mm-hmm. of the way he's you know, very well-spoken, educated, um, and just you know a, a great role model once again. And he really does seem like the guy who will definitely go into coaching ASAP, yeah. especially at his age. I mean, you see a lot of the players retire at like 30. 33, 34, wait a few years and go into management. But I think he's going to jump in right away. Yeah. Um, seeing his experience and his age, I think he's almost 37, actually. So He is 36 as of right now. He will yeah. be 37 on May 20th. Yeah, so by the end, when he retires, he'll be 37, which is really up there. Um, yeah. Even for a goalkeeper. And I know Buffon's like 41 and still playing, but you know, he's been in an outlier situation. Casillas was done when he was like 34 or 35. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, at Real Madrid. So, yeah, I mean, I I'm really happy with with what Czech has given to English football. And as an Arsenal fan, you know, I didn't have the greatest time with him because he was at the end of his career and not right. at his best, obviously. But I mean, still, like, there's no way you could you could hate a guy like that who no, still gave I mean, his all. He did win you a FA Cup mm-hmm. against his former club. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't really complain about anything this guy has brought to the table. I mean, I, I'm going to miss him as well, just like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking today, you know, when I was looking at pictures of him, I, I couldn't really believe that he played for Arsenal. You know, I, I, I feel like I spent a few years um, taking him for granted almost as for, you know, how big of a legend he is and how influential he is to the to the rest of the team. 
But, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, might might not be just Yumi Heath. I think I think defenders and and uh, goalkeepers especially are always overlooked, mm-hmm. um, just because of the fact that soccer is such a, a forward and midfield dominated um, game. Really, just like any other sport. I mean, it doesn't matter because they don't they don't have the stats or the mm-hmm. glamour or the glory. If if you're a defender and you make a mistake. It costs a goal, or same as a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know he's he'll be a a, a massive legend, and, and I hope I hope the best for him. Yeah, me as well. So we'll move on to Harry Kane, who um, suffered an ankle injury, I believe, at the end of the game against Manchester United on Sunday, mm-hmm. and he is out till the beginning of March, and he is going to miss some crucial, crucial matches, including most likely both matches of the Champions League round of 16 against um, a formidable opponent in Borussia Dortmund. Um, he's likely to miss the second leg of the League Cup final against Chelsea, along with another Premier League game against Chelsea and the North London Derby in early March. Now, this wouldn't be as big of an issue if Hung Min Son was available to play because he has, he has replaced Kane in the past, you know, in that center forward role. He's more than capable in that mm-hmm. position, but he is off to the Asian Cup this week. Yeah. So basically, they got Fernando Llorente, and that's about it. Yeah. I was... know, Kane is the best, you know, one of the best strikers in the world for sure. I think he's the best. And mm-hmm. for Spurs to be missing their leader and their best player for such a crucial p- period of the season, I think this is going to be a disaster for them. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I was looking through their uh, team sheet, and I came up with about five players I think that could play that central forward slash striker role. Obviously the the normal the only one that I could come up with as a normal striker is Lorente, who's played a total grand total of thirty six minutes uh in the whole season. Um I also thought that along with human son, I think that probably Lucas could possibly mm-hmm. play that central forward yeah. role just because he's a good finisher and he's fast and he's quick. So they'd have to develop their style a little bit different than with Kane. Um, I think Erickson could do a, a job at central forward, maybe as a false nine kind of thing. Um, he He's shown that he can score a lot. I mean, against Ireland, he just absolutely pummeled them mm-hmm. uh, from what I remember. And I think he was playing that kind of role as yeah. maybe a, a false nine. And then Deli Ali, the same thing. As Erickson, you know, he can definitely score and he seems like the kind of guy who uh, can play a, like a, a false nine as well, like Erickson. But San will be a, a big miss for them. Mm-hmm. Um, for how long is he going to be gone for the Asia Cup? I don't really know that. I think it's around a month, maybe a week or so. So that could be probably the first leg of the, of the mm-hmm. um, Champions League tie, which yeah. would be a huge, huge deal. For them, because he he's their second leading goal scorer with eight this year, mm-hmm. and and also he has five assists, which is their second most assists behind Ericsson. So it seems yeah. as though for this moment, Ericsson's going to really have to step up. So is Lucas Mora, uh, Deli Ali as well, and I don't know if they want to tr- even try Lorente. I heard some rumors saying that he was going back to Athletic Bilbao. Yeah, but um, I think after this injury, I don't think Llorente will be allowed to leave. In no, I don't think they can. I think they might have to. They definitely will have to play him a couple of games, and they mm-hmm. might have to give him a start or two if they want to um, 
<laughs> they want to keep on contending. Yeah. Um, the issue with Spurs is that, you know, they haven't been spending a lot recently because of their new stadium. And, they, I mean, Llorente is not a suitable backup for Kane. I mean, he's not nearly at the same level. And he also doesn't play the, nearly the same way, right? So it's not going to be a like-for-like switch in quality or in terms of style. Um, if you look at guy, like teams like Man City, if Aguero gets injured, you put in Gabriel Jesus. Um, at uh, Arsenal, you take out Aubameyang, you put in Lacazette. I mean, all these teams have good backup strikers. Spurs don't really. Even Man U now, you know, Rashford and Lukaku are the two center forwards. That's mm-hmm. a, two good quality players that can play in that same position. But um, I think Spurs have planned this really badly because they do play Kane at, like twice a week. 90 minutes. He he never takes a break. And this is bound to happen. I mean, you have to plan for situations like this, and I don't think they have done an adequate job at you know doing that. Yeah. Um, he, he has the most appearances for Spurs with 21, and he has 1,887 minutes. And now mm-hmm. some of his ligaments, I believe, are torn in his ankle. So yeah. this is a big problem for Spurs. And as, and as you said, you believe that he's the, the best striker in the world. He certainly is in my book as a top, certainly top three striker. I don't, I wouldn't say top, the the top top, but definitely top three um, yeah. as a normal, just number nine, not including Ronaldo or Messi. But besides the point, yeah, they're going to have to really understand what they got now without him. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I think Pochettino can make a, a mold of this team to Lorente because it's not mm-hmm. hard to, it's gonna be. They're gonna have to be a little bit more defensive, in my opinion, with a guy who's probably like a big, tall striker like that. Um, generally, isn't the, always the greatest finisher. Mm-hmm. Um, he's generally better within the air, um, yeah. and also he's thirty-three. He's not. He's not young for a striker. <laughs> yeah. His legs might be a little bit gone, um, and you know, they're gonna have to definitely rely on Ericsson a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think they'll be able to get past Dortmund with all this, you know, with Kane gone and Son gone? Uh, sorry, I didn't understand that quite correctly. Can uh, are, you, do, you think, do you think they're going to beat Dortmund or no? I thought even with Kane that they they wouldn't have beaten him. Now I'm certain mm-hmm. that Dortmund's probably going to take this tie. Um, it's not still not going to be easy. Um, but, I mean, when you have Son and Kane out for that first leg, especially Dortmund should really really put on that pressure like they I, I think they have to honestly because they're they're rumored that he's going to be back for the beginning of March in training mm-hmm. the second leg of all the round of 16 Champions League ties are in the middle of March yeah so with that being said if he is training at the beginning of March he'll be ready for the second leg now usually with these athletes they come back a little bit earlier mm-hmm. just because of the fact that you know they're they're really committed to what they're doing or something like that yeah if for whatever reason that he's not back by then by like the early part of march then something's definitely worse than they thought yeah so i mean as in terms of your question no i don't think that spurs are gonna do well against dortmund not even yeah i think they'll have to really put a low block against their uh rapid team and I don't know how they're going to deal with their offensive when they try and break how they're going to deal with Dortmund's lightning fast counterattack. yeah um if 
I mean, before King got injured, I probably would have picked Dortmund by, you know, a small margin. And I think now, you know, like you said, I think this is going to be a really tough test for Dortmund. Or sorry, for uh, for Spurs. And I don't yeah. think they're going to win. No, um, definitely not. I mean, this kind of robs us of a, a really good tie, too. That's what's uh, mm-hmm. unfortunate about it. Not as a, like, I'm not a Spurs fan by any means. But <laughs> as, a, as a neutral fan, you know, you want to see good games. Yeah. And Definitely. and this was a mouthwatering tie because it looked so it looked like it could be a really entertaining tie. Now with him gone, it's hard to say. Hard to say. And with Son gone too for the Asia Cup, it couldn't have come at a worse time, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can move on to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who came in as interim manager about a month ago to Manchester United, of course, after they sacked Jose Mourinho. And he's won all six of his games since joining. I mean, the first the first five, to be honest, were pretty straightforward. Um, they beat Cardiff 5-1. They beat Huddersfield 3-1. Bournemouth 4-1. Newcastle 2-0. And Reading 2-0 in the FA Cup. But this past Sunday, they came up against Spurs. And um, this was a big test for Solskjaer because the man in the opposing tactical area is the guy who many want as the new man, new manager, and many think will be the new man, new manager. Of course, on a permanent basis, come the summer, but he went out there with his team and Manu won 1-0 against Spurs, and you know Spurs did have a full-strength lineup, and um, it was Rashford who scored the goal. Um, you know, Solskjaer has done a really good job, in my opinion, since coming in. You know, he's restored that feel-good factor, which mm-hmm. I think was behind, is, you know, what the board wanted with this appointment, because he's not a top manager. I mean, he he was a disaster at Cardiff a few years ago, and then he was managing in the Norwegian League, which is you know, not nothing of, of pedigree. No. And I think they just wanted a familiar face, something that all the fans can get behind. Yeah. And, you know, he's done that. But he's also won all the games, and he's beat Tottenham. I mean, I don't think anybody expected this. No, I think you're right. I don't think anybody really expected uh, United to beat Tottenham, especially... I believe it was it in London. Was it at uh, Wembley? Yeah, it was at Wembley. Yeah. So that's even a bigger, bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, him beating, you know, as you said, Cardiff, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle. Um, I think Mourinho's team, honestly, the way he's beaten them has changed. Like it's it's a little different because I think Mourinho's United would have kind of struggled by one or two of those teams. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like all of them are complete. Uh, are completely terrible. Yeah. Sorry, they're just you know, they're, they're lower teams, but they'll give you a good run when your your name is Manchester United because they want to mm-hmm. beat you. Yeah. But uh, the way he's beat them has definitely been very convincingly. Um, like you said, they, it seems as though United is now kind of they seem to be let free of the shackles of limitation and negativity. Yeah. Um, Sh- he has really developed. Or it seems like he's developed Paul Pogba overnight yeah. as, as a, from a guy who's on the bench in the biggest game. Like, usually Liverpool versus United is the biggest game yeah. in England and in the world, possibly. And uh, now he's just making him wreak havoc against all these teams, which he should. I've always mm-hmm. been a big fan of, of Paul Pogba, and I think he's definitely should be a top 10 player, regardless of who's behind him, who's in front of him, yeah. wherever he goes. No, yeah. None of this get Natich to unlock him nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I think he should always be a top-ten player. Yeah. But 
maybe it was the manager's problem. And I think both of us agree that Jose held this team back more than he helped it. And, uh, I mean, they're showing some good results. Now they got, they got Brighton. Um, they got Brighton next. Then they have Arsenal in the fourth run of the FA Cup, which I think yeah. will be a big, big, big test for him. Then yeah. Burnley, Leicester, and mm-hmm. Fulham. And then the PSG Champions League um, round of 16 draw will be a, another big test for him because we're, we're going to have to see where one PSG is at, but mm-hmm. two, where United's his that will be, I believe, a month with him un, under charge or maybe yeah. just, just over two months. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. I mean, United have, have climbed back up the table. They're, they're still six, but they're level with Arsenal on points. I mean, they mm-hmm. have identical records 12 wins, five draws, five losses. And then, you know, Chelsea's a bit further up in fourth with 47 points, which is six ahead of Arsenal and United. But, I mean, there's still 16 games to go. Um, I I honestly think United are, are going to, like, g- give Chelsea a good run. And I think they're going to end up finishing either fourth or fifth. And I think Arsenal will, will end up down in sixth. Um, you know, with Kane out as well, I think there's going to be a real, real jumble up in that third to six, sixth area. Yeah, because you know there's only seven points separating the four, the four teams, so I think it's going to be really exciting. And um, I'm I'm it, it's it's actually quite nice to see United doing well again. Um, you know they've been really fun to watch, and I've been really impressed by uh, Marcus Rashford, who's playing at striker again. Um, if you remember his debut against Arsenal was at striker in the 2015-16 season, I believe, where he just wrecked Gabriel and and scored a brace on his debut, and, and that was at twenty dollars. Yeah, I remember exactly. that. Sorry so I do, that. I do remember him coming out. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he's starting Martial and Rashford, which is definitely what United fans have wanted mm-hmm. out of out of this team because they want to see their young guns. You know, the the kids definitely want to see those guys play because they probably bought shirts and are idolizing them at the moment. Yeah. yeah um. But like under Mourinho, Rashford is playing as a winger, and you know he doesn't really have the. I don't know how to explain. He's not, he's not very creative. Yeah, yeah, and and he his decision making is really poor mm. from from my perspective. You know, he he often doesn't really pick the right pass or you know shoots in the wrong wrong space. But you know, at center forward, that's not as big an issue because you're you know expected to finish off the move, and that's basically it. Whereas as a winger, you have to create moves. You have to you know run to the touchline, come in, you know put in a cross. You have to do everything as a winger. Yeah, And, you know, for center forward, you just sort of have to finish off the move. And I think he's really improved at that. I mean, Rashford can strike a ball as good as anybody. I mean, with either foot as well. I mean, his technique is, is amazing when he's shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also fast. Um, the one issue I had was, you know, his, like, finishing in the blocks, his 1v1 finishing. And in the past few games, I mean, he's done really well against Hugo Lloris the other day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, basically a 1v1. He was running in down the right right-hand side of the box, and he finished far post. It was a great finish. And that's the sort of you know, goal that I want to see from Rashford, to see if he's capable of playing a striker. And I think he is. I mean, he has four goals and one assist in the five games under Solskjaer. And he's pushed Lukaku to the bench, but you know, Lukaku, Lukaku was poor this past season. Yeah. But, uh, he still scored you know, off the bench in, in all these games. So I think even he's improved under Solskjaer and the confidence he's been given, even if he's not starting. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, I... Oh, sorry, go on. Um, I, mean, I was just going to say I'm really impressed, that's all. Um, let me ask you a question. How do you think this will impact Anthony Martial's United career? 
Um, I mean, he's been starting and he's been playing well. I, I think, you know, I think he's going to stay. I think he should stay. Mm-hmm. I don't see why he would leave. You know, I think it's it's gonna it's gonna take an upturn for Man United in the future. But okay. now we're gonna you know sort of debate whether Solskjaer is gonna be the permanent manager or whether he should be the permanent manager. Because, you know, there's been a lot of names linked. Guys like Pochettino, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, Zinedine Zidane. Uh-huh. But, you know, Solskjaer, first of all, has, you know, the, the Manchester United blood in him. Yes, he's, he does. He was a great player for that club. Um, Scored now the most he's famous coming. goal for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. In that 1999 Champions League final. Yes. But, and now he's, you know, he's, he's already proven with this club now, in the last six games at least. Whereas, you know, you don't know what you're going to get with Pochettino coming in or Zidane coming in. But at least Solskjaer has these six games to fall back on and say, you know, hey, I, I won my first six games. These guys, you don't know what you're going to get with them. But for me, you you're at least know a little bit of what you're going to get. Um, I think if they finish the season, if they finish the season strongly, I don't see why they wouldn't give it to him. I agree. I, I do. I think um, I think we have to wait and see how the uh, results um, vary, but uh, you know, if I, I give you a scenario like this, he finishes fourth, they mm-hmm. claim a Champions League spot, and he somehow and sorry, it's not somehow he beats uh, he beats Paris Saint Germain in the Champions League. I think that would give him, unless he gets really really embarrassed in the FA Cup against Arsenal this upcoming tie. Yeah. I think that would give him the. Uh, the, the go ahead to uh, continue on with this team. I mean, maybe his disaster at Cardiff was the lack of funding, or maybe it was the fact that you know you have to fail in order to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. see that time and time again with uh, managers, and maybe it wasn't the right fit or or yeah. something along those lines. You know, mm-hmm. um, competing in Norway might have helped in terms of just knowing how to deal with players, knowing how to you know understand tactics on a managerial level instead of a player or analytical level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if he does do well, I agree. I think he'll get, he'll get the nod for the job because they've been, they've been cutting off heads like chickens with these mm-hmm. three managers since Sir Alex Ferguson left in 2013. Three managers in, in six years is not consistent and it's not healthy for the club. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, especially when, the manager's ideals are are different each time. Like Mourinho is a classic low block, park the bus counterattack. Um, mm-hmm. Van Hal is a little bit different, and I don't really know what Moises was because he was he was so in and out that <laughs> I couldn't even understand it. I never watched Everton, so yeah, yeah. Um, I have two issues with Solskjaer. I mean, n- not with him personally, but uh, with the situation <laughs> yep, <he's>, here. <laughs> yep. uh, but uh, you know, he's he's not the the tactically you know the 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 crazy tactical coach you know he's not a pochettino um, because against spurs in the second half spurs spurs up the intensity you know they were on the front foot they were passing that really quick and getting into the box right away you know they were sort of um starting out with the fullbacks going into the midfield out to the wingers and then crossing it in for kane and that worked with their intensity as well and throughout the whole second half solskjaer didn't make a single change that helped United situation. And I think United got lucky with that win, to be honest, because De Gea saved their ass. And I'm not, like, I mean, Spurs had, I think, 11, 13 shots on goal in the second half. 
in that game alone. Yeah, in, to- in total, the team stats off of Google says that they had 11 shots on target yeah. and all those 21 on, shots. All of those were in the second half, yeah. yeah. They had zero in the first half. And then when they upped the intensity, Solskjaer had zero answer. And I think this game could have been really, really ugly in, 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 you know, for Man U if De Gea wasn't in that net. If any other goalkeeper was in that net, I think it was a 3-1, 4-1 win for Spurs just because of how dominant they were in the second half. So I think that is an issue. You know, they, United played a great game in the first half, but to, you know, have your in-game management working in your brain and to make the changes required to deal with the pressure, I'm not sure he's up to standard with that. And my second issue is that United's, you know, last few games in the league are very, very tough. They are very tough. Um, they play Chelsea in their last game of the season, Everton before that, West Ham, Wolves, Watford, mm-hmm. City, Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, that is a very, very, very yeah. hard lineup in terms yeah. of Premier League competition. That yeah. is essentially the top 11. Yeah. You have Wolves at 11th right now, Everton at 10th, West Ham at 9th. Leicester is coming up, so that will be a big game for him at 8th. Mm-hmm. Then Watford at 7th, and then Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, City. And City, yeah. And, and I believe uh, I believe Liverpool play them soon as well. Yeah, that's uh, February twenty fourth. Yeah, so he's got a lot of he's got a lot of big games to play. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, the United fans can gas him up, and I'm I'm sure they're loving it because it's always it always feels good to have a former player coach your team to success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it it's been a proven not really a proven tactic, but in Spain especially, there was at one point two years ago where all three of the big three coaches were former players, that being Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid, Zinedine Zidane at Real Madrid, and Luis Enrique at Barcelona. They all played for them at one point or another. So it's a feel-good, and also it's a a familiarity for the fans, the clubs, the personnel, maybe not the players because obviously they didn't play with him or something like that along those lines, but Mm -hmm. you get the point of what I'm trying to make. Yeah, and uh, Spain is a bit of a, a, a cool situation because Pep Guardiola was the manager a while yeah. ago. And he also played for Barcelona. And Real Madrid seemed to keep hiring um, managers that have played for the club or at least have a history with the club with guys like um, Santiago Solari, who's a current manager. Uh, Yulan Lopetegui, um, head coach of the club before and played for them, I believe. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. But uh, he, had, he had a history with the club and so did Rafa Benitez. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a... It's a tactic that a lot of clubs are looking towards now, but you know, a lot of those guys aren't the best coaches. Yes, like, that, that's as in like pure coaches, but they're good at motivating the the, the team and and they, know, have, they have the have... instant respect of the locker room or the yeah. dressing room, whatever you exactly. want to call it, which mm-hmm. is a big, big deal with mm-hmm. it, and it clearly shows that Schulzeier has that respect already, yeah. just like Zidane had it immediately when he came into Real Madrid. All right, so we'll move on to Arsenal now. Um, big news you know, in the last couple of days with their head of recruitment, Sven Mislintat, reportedly leaving the club due to issues with Unai Emery and Raul Semlehi, who is the, I believe, technical director at the club. But, I mean, a lot of people thought that Mislintat was the one to change Arsenal. You know, he is, I think many would agree that he is at least one of the best head scouts in the world. I mean, he discovered guys like Hummels, Lewandowski, Aubameyang. I mean, he, Dembele is the big one as well. I mean, he signed 
Dembele for Dortmund for I think fifteen million, and then see, <laughs> I mean a, a year later he sold for a hundred million more. Mm-hmm. So you know he's this guy's got pedigree, he's got history, um, he's got you know, the experience, and Arsenal brought him in, and he was the one exciting piece in their rebuild. You know, you know Unai Emery is not really an exciting um, appointment, but Mislintat with his nickname being Diamond Eye. Mm-hmm. Is exciting, and you know, bringing in Torreira for twenty-two million, Genduzi for seven million, finding all these gems. Mavropanos was two or three million. Um, g- these are great signings for Arsenal, who aren't really a financial power in the world, in world football. They had to go out and find bargains, and this guy was doing that. But now he's having issues th- with issues with Raul Sanlehi, who is um, the the top dog essentially, and he he was the former Barcelona director of football so he's got all these contacts around world football blah 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 and you know he wants to use his contacts to sign players but Miss Lintat wants to use his data and, and stuff like that and you know apparently he's leaving the club Oof, that's a probably a big blow for you as I know you like him a lot you were mm-hmm. really excited about him coming through the mm-hmm. one thing I'll have to say about that is with this um, director that you have who's trying to use his European contacts it seems as though those contacts, he's kind of just giving, getting advice from, I don't know who these guys are or what they do or, you know, whatever. But the point I'm trying to make is I, I think it sounds like he'll go for players who are of more value than what Arsenal are willing to spend. And that's yeah. the big problem with Arsenal, as always has been. Um, you know, he, he, as you said, he got Torreira. But he also got uh, Konstantinos. I, I've mis- yeah. probably mispronounced his last name. And also Guendouzi, who I've yeah. been pretty impressed with. And I think those three guys are, are pretty, pretty good for young players. Especially mm-hmm. Torreira. I'm a big, big, big fan of him. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he... I mean, his Dortmund pedigree is pretty ridiculous, as you pointed out. Um, Kagawa he discovered from the second division of Japan yeah. and made him a Dortmund starter who got them to a Champions League final and was sold to Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy does definitely have pedigree and it's, it also shows a lack of uh, cooperation Yeah, and also a lack of, I, I want to say camaraderie, but that's not really the word I'm kind of look, looking for. Yeah, there we go. That's what I'm looking for. Structure. They don't yeah. seem to know. Th- there's no guy who's kind of taking charge of it. There's mm-hmm. one. Guy, they're kind of battling it out for the alpha position yeah. Yeah, of I the clubs a, and recruitment. Yeah, there's like a triangle between Senlehi, Emery, and Mislintat that's just not going well. Um, Wenger left last May, and Ivan Gazidis, who was the CEO, left uh, just a couple months ago. And, I think those two big losses were were supposed to be comforted by the fact that Arsenal were supposed to have this plan in place and this structure in place. But, you know, with this falling out between all these guys, it doesn't look like that plan worked or it was even there in the first place, um, which, you know, it should have been if they were going to sack a guy who has been there for 22 years and seems like he was the one holding everything together. Yeah, but yeah, and I think Arsenal are screwed. <laughs> like oh. I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be blunt about it. I think they're absolutely screwed with a manager who is not up to par with the rest of, rest of their rivals, and you know the the loss of their one key piece, that was their one hope of getting back 
to the level they're supposed to be at with the budget of the club that you know is in Europa League. Um, yeah, I mean that that's always the killer with Arsenal, especially, which is quite honestly baffling. I mean, I don't understand how a club worth what is it upwards of two billion dollars mm-hmm. cannot afford to pay for players in January, and they can only get loans. I mean, you're Arsenal Football Club. Aren't you supposed to be? You're the only club that has the distinction of saying that you went unbeaten in a Premier League season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I just don't understand what, what they're doing. But at the same time, you just have a terrible owner. I mean, that's, yeah. that's one thing that the fans are just never going to be able to do. Um, as much as I do like watching Arsenal fan TV for the banter, <laughs> I think that a lot of guys do have fair points. Yeah. And they consistently criticize Kroenke for a very, very, very good reason. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that guy's a billionaire and he owns all of your club. And there's mm-hmm. literally, I don't think even talking about it is going to be fixing yeah. it. I don't know if all of the fans of Arsenal around the world have as much money as that guy does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a yeah. big problem because that's their problem. That is the main problem with, I believe, that is the main problem with Arsenal mm-hmm. Football Club. They just, they can't seem to have everything right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not uncommon for an organization, a corporation to have some conflict because there always will be in, in human nature or in nature itself. But when your main core, when your spine is it is just not... It's not gelling, you know, it's like, it's just, it's bad and it's, it shows. And I mean, they have top players still. I mean, I think Lacazette is your overall best player. I think Ozil is, is still a top quality player. And I think Terrera is going to be your best player, but you know, releasing Aaron Ramsey for nothing is just flat out dumb in my opinion. And I, I just don't, I don't, I mean, I, I don't have the same stress as you do with this club, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But I think you might be right. I could see Spurs and you guys being uh, a bit of a... What, what am I trying to say here? They're kind of like a, in a little disarray, especially if Tottenham has Pochettino leave and they don't mm-hmm. find a suitable replacement for him. But... Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hope I hope Arsenal can get things right. I don't think Unai Emery is the man. And I think Sven yeah. leaving, with his track record at Dortmund especially, it, it's going to be... We're going to have to see how good their transfers actually are, how good Unai Emery is good at recruiting. Yeah. Um, the one... The thing that I have to say is that I, I don't blame Stan Kroenke for any of this. Especially, you know, the, the stuff with Nislintat and, and not being able to spend in January because um, I think Arsenal are pushing on financial fair play a ah. little bit. You know, I think I think they're with their wages, it's it's nothing to do with, you know, spending money, but um, okay. they have a massive wage bill, but they're a Europa League club. And, you know, I, I'm not an expert in the finances. I don't know much about FFP. But uh, I read an article the other day about how Arsenal, you know, they if Kroenke gave them, like, a hundred million right now to spend, they wouldn't be able to, because of their restrictions with financial fair play. They're just simply just paying these players too much, right now, and I think that's partly the reason why Ramsey's being let go. Um, but you know, I think all of these issues stem from about a year ago when they signed Aubameyang for basically no reason. You know, they already yeah. had a top center forward in Lacazette, and yeah. they went and paid sixty million 
for a 29-year-old guy who was going to be making 200K. They exchange Alexis for Mkhitaryan, who's making 150-something K. And he's rubbish, right? And and then they signed Ozil to a $350,000 contract, which is per week. Yeah. And, you know, that's gonna, that comes up to almost 600000 week. Uh, per week in three players who are 30 years old and aren't necessarily, you know, they didn't need those deals. And uh, to be fair, you know, Sven Mislintat was a big part of the Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang deals as well. So he, it's not like he's, you know, perfect. Yeah. He made those mistakes as well, which I, I think, you know, have to be classified as mistakes from the club. But uh, yeah, I think, I think they got to just cut down on this wage issue. Um, they're going to have to sell a lot of players in the summer. I think um, Koscielny is going to be gone in the summer. Uh, he's on 90K, I think. Czech is gone. He's probably on something around that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, from there, they got to cut down on these players. Guys like Elneny, Welbeck, I think are going to be gone. One thing Arsenal do have is a good academy right now. Um, their academy is you know, producing great prospects like crazy. And I think they're going to have to bring some of them up into bigger roles next year to make mm-hmm. up for losing more experienced players just to cut back on the wage. Yeah. And um, I think that's a, a fine alternative. You know, if you... You should have faith in your youth academy. I don't care if you're Ajax and Barcelona who have a phenomenal youth academy or if you are like hearts from Scotland. I think you should always have, always invest and always try and be smart with your youth academy because that's essentially your, your, your way of being able to have not necessarily free players, but players that you could develop. You can understand their attitude and their personality and how well they fit in a dressing room and yeah. and their ability you can see it grow and you can judge how fast and how quickly they can develop into possibly a substitute a first team player or an all-star essentially yeah and i think i think you're right about the pure american bombing um thing i think lacazette is a better forward and a better player overall mm-hmm. but bombing might be quicker and he might be scoring more goals but this isn't fifa right i mean <laughs> i think i think lacazette makes more plays i think he could in big crunch time situations mm-hmm. lacazette's going to be the guy to give you the goal yeah and we've seen that a lot too he's been a lot better in the big yeah games yeah i mean lacazette scored in your most important game last year against atletico i mm-hmm. mean he was the only one who scored and he scored off a header at 5-9 like he's five nine, and he went over Godin, yeah. so that's a big, big thing. Um, and I think spending what was it over a hundred and ten million on two strikers, yeah, is ill advised. Mm-hmm. You yeah. could definitely, you know, with not having a single winger in the squad, but yeah. two top center forwards. Like, like, why? What was the point? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like, I think you should always build as through the spine. So. Mm-hmm center backs, goalie, central midfielders, and strikers. But, I mean, you don't need a 50 million pound striker on the bench and a 60 million pound striker (laughs) starting. Um, Not even Barcelona does that. So, I mean, that's ill-advised. And, you know, maybe Sven might have had a a mistake in that department as well, especially with Mkhitaryan also. Um, I will say for his Dortmund resume, it seems as though it might not all be his credit as well of signing, mm-hmm. you know, a Lewandowski, a Hummels, as you, as you pointed out, because it seems as though Dortmund are still not having 
any trouble finding yeah. diamonds in the rough, really. That's true. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I, I liked Paco at uh, at Barcelona, but I didn't think he could be a a first teamer, or mm-hmm. or really have the same impact off the bench for Dortmund. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows that they've they've really done well with without Sven because they're yeah. gonna they 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 look like they're gonna win the Bundesliga and probably get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Yeah, um, I, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world losing Sven Nislintat because Arsenal are still going to have, um, of course, at least some pulling power. And, you know, it's not like they're going to lose all sense of who's good and who's not. Yeah, you know, and, I mean, uh, it doesn't take a huge amount of intellect to know some good players and some bad players. Mm-hmm. I hope not, at least. Yeah. Um, the one thing I, going back to the academy, one thing that I have liked about Unai Emery being manager is that he has given opportunities to the youth players quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's you know one good thing about his tenure. Other than that, you know, I don't think he's a guy who's going to take Arsenal to the next level. And if he's you know if if I don't, if he gets if he doesn't get Champions League this year, um, I think it's going to be a topsy turvy time for him in the summer. I think there's going to be you know I don't think his job is going to be 100 percent secure if he doesn't get Champions League this year because Arsenal are dying for that right now with the players mm-hmm. that they pay and stuff like that. But I think two years max for Unai Emery, that's what I would do at least. You know, the, the, the worse this gets, the harder it is going to be to come back from it, right? So, Right. Do you think um, players like uh, – or sorry, do you think a player like Ozil who's not starting or even on the bench is going to be sold this year with that huge weight, um, yeah. wage gap, and also the fact that he's probably still a top three player – on your team for sure, actually. Yeah. I shouldn't have said probably. Yeah. Um I I don't want him to be sold, but I think, you know, with Unai Emery not playing him and him making as much as he does, I think it's very much a possibility. But, you know, which club is gonna take on his wages, you know? Yeah. Even if he goes down, I think he's gonna still demand at least two hundred fifty K a week. I don't think there are many clubs that are willing to pay that. You know, I think China would be able to you know a club in China would be able to pay that, but I don't think Ozil's interested in that. Um, last month, Ozil's agent said that he's not going to go anywhere. Um, he still plays once in a while. It's just not in the away games or the big games. You know, it's it's. I mean, the fact that he's not even on the bench is something that's really strange. I mean, he gets dropped in the squad completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope he doesn't get sold. I mean, he's still a match-winning player that uh, provides a lot of quality. I mean, Arsenal have been struggling to create any chances really in the last few games, and I, I don't see why he can't. You know, at least provide some of that off the bench, at least. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really strange issue. I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I hope Arsenal resolve these issues faster. Of course. All right, Nick. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks for joining me once again. As as always, a pleasure, Mahi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to the Free Flow Football Podcast. You can find us on Spotify now. We are back up there after some technical difficulties. Um, iTunes, YouTube. Um, yeah, so... You guys can check us out. We're going to be producing weekly podcasts, hopefully. Um, Check out our website at freeflowfootball.com, on Twitter, Freeflow blog. Yeah, thanks, guys.